The Red Sox are on the market for pitchers, but it might not be some of the top tier talent that you're hoping that they go after. We're going to be talking about this and much more in this episode of the Locked On Red Sox podcast. You are Locked On Red Sox, your daily Boston Red Sox podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome you back into the Locked On Red Sox podcast. Thank you so much for making Locked On Red Sox your first listen of every single day. I'm your host, Massachusetts Pirates team insider, Jake Mizuski. But when you really look at the Red Sox needs throughout this offseason, obviously there's a lot of puzzle pieces to fill in this jigsaw puzzle that the Red Sox have to fix before the 2023 opening day start. But when you really think about the main needs that this team needs in order to get back to World Series contention, it's pitching, pitching, and more pitching. And we've heard from Heim Bloom throughout his time with the Red Sox. He's all about depth. He's all about making sure that the Red Sox have enough depth in their system. And he actually mentioned, mentioned pitching as the main position that he wants the most depth in especially if injuries happen, guys are able to fill in. And we really saw that be very evident throughout the 2022 season. Seemed like every single week uh, a player was going on the injured list. And luckily the Sox had the depth in order to be able to fill in. Now it wasn't the effective depth to help them be able to win games, but they were able to take what happened this past season as a learning lesson and now approach this offseason much, much more diligently in order to make sure that they have enough effective depth in order to be able to contend, especially deep into the playoffs. But they won't be going after some of the top-tier talent that is on the free agent market in terms of naming them by names. According to Alex Spear, the Red Sox appear unlikely to go after guys like Justin Verlander, Jacob deGrom, Carlos Rodon, and Chris Bassett. Now, Jacob deGrom, Justin Verlander, sort of anticipated those two names were sort of out of the Red Sox realm of interest. Justin Verlander going to be turning 40 next season. Yes, he's coming off of a Cy Young award, but he would probably want $40 million a year. He's looking for around three-year deal. I don't see the Red Sox and Heim Bloom going after somebody like that. Jacob deGrom, very similar situation. Now he's not 40, but he is coming back uh, from some injury-prone seasons, but he still is considered one of the top three pitcher in the league and one of the nastiest pitchers over the last few years. And he's definitely going to be demanding uh, $35, $40 million. And we've seen from the past that Heim Bloom isn't very into putting all of his eggs in one basket. Uh, but the one thing that the Red Sox do need is an ace. And so most people's minds, Carlos Rodon seemed like a perfect match for the Red Sox a guy who's coming off of one of his best seasons throughout his career. Sox could probably get him for $20, $25 million a year, but looks like they probably won't be in the bidding for him. And Chris Bassett was another person that they seem to express interest to uh, earlier in the offseason. Now he is going into his age 34 season. And I could see that maybe when Heim Bloom started talking with his agents, sort of figuring out you know, what it took for uh, the Red Sox to be able to sign him, Probably didn't see that it made sense for the Red Sox to give a guy going into his 34 age season uh, a three year deal. You know, 
20, $25 million. He's probably looking for a little bit more young, but you know, some of the guys that, you know, the Sox have expressed interest in um, a little bit on the opposite of that end. Uh, and one of those is Corey Kluber. He going into uh, this next season, he's going to be turning 37 in April and the Red Sox reportedly have interest in Corey Kluber for the third off season in a row. We saw Two off seasons ago when the Yankees signed him, the Sox came very close to signing Kluber. And then also last year, too, uh, when he ultimately ended up uh, signing with the Rays. So he definitely likes AL East teams. It seems like probably the competition uh, of the teams in that division definitely intrigues him. And uh, we've seen him be very effective for not only the Yankees, but also the Rays over these last two seasons. Now, it's not the same Corey Kluber that we saw with the Cleveland Indians way back when, or now the Guardians. But with the Yankees, he pitched 80 innings with a 383 ERA in 2021. And then last season, he pitched 164 innings with a 434 ERA. So not super surprising for the Red Sox to show interest in him once again, especially with their past interest over these past two off-seasons. But I am curious to see what's what version the Red Sox are going to get of Corey Kluber, especially as he's getting higher and higher in age. But I wouldn't be surprised. You know, we've we've seen a lot of people say that they that they will probably go towards a six-man rotation, especially with a guy like Chris Sale coming back uh, from multiple injuries throughout not only this past season, but multiple seasons in the last three years. Garrett Whitlock coming back from an injury, starting to try and build up uh, to to be a starter. Uh, wouldn't really expect the Sox to run out a five-man rotation with you know twos or threes. Uh, I, I would just be very surprised to see them do that. Probably want to do their best to uh, give as much break for some of these guys to be able to not get too overworked throughout a season, especially, you know, multiple of these players uh, coming off injuries. And we saw how effective it was for the Houston Astros uh, just this past season, the World Series champs, especially with, you know, Justin Verlander coming back uh, from TJ and then Christian Javier just being slotted right into that rotation mid-season. But uh, Kluber actually throughout his uh, time last year with the Rays actually had some good words to say about the Red Sox. He said, I think it's an awesome city. I think it's a great place. During the summertime, during baseball season, it's hard to find a better place. I enjoy going there as a visitor. Fenway is one uh, one of, if not my favorite ballpark in the big leagues, just the environment, the history of it, and all sorts of stuff. I just think it's a really cool place. And so definitely seems like he's very into the Red Sox culture, especially obviously the historic Fenway Park is something that really intrigues a lot of free agents uh, that, that the Red Sox show interest in. So, you know, may, maybe this could be the time where the Red Sox are able to finally make a deal happen with Corey Kluber. Very curious to see where he fits in the Red Sox rotation, especially with still a lot of question marks going into this next season on how things are going to stack up especially with who's going to be this team's ace. You can't expect Chris Sale to be this team's ace, especially with how much time he has missed over these last three years. And you don't know what version of Chris Sale you're truly going to get. Uh, we just haven't seen enough from him over these last three years or so. So I'm very surprised that the Red Sox aren't going towards more of an ace caliber type of player. I understand them not wanting to overspend on some of these guys, Rodon seemed like somebody who was a perfect fit to 
fit the bill of an age for this team. Chris Bassett, I get it because the age 34 season. Jacob DeGrom and Verlander, as I mentioned, both very highly priced. I, I don't expect Heim Bloom to you know, dish out all this money for DeGrom and Verlander. And, you know, he's penny pinching uh, Rafael Devers and Xander Bogards. But the Red Sox also have been in contact uh, with one of the top Japanese pitchers going into this offseason, Kodia Sanga. And they're not the only ones who have been in contact. The Yankees also have uh, been in contact with some of his representatives. And we've previously seen over this last week or so, the Mets and Padres have both met with Sanga, according to Will Sampson and Dennis Lynn from The Athletic. But the 29-year-old righty is currently an international free agent, and he's somebody that we've seen a lot of teams show interest in and really be intrigued with what he's done over 11 seasons in the MPB over in the Japanese major leagues. He's thrown over 1,000 innings during his time over there, registering an 87-44 and record with a 2.59 ERA. And he's also coming off of one of his best seasons in his career. He went 11 and 6 with a 194 ERA over 144 innings, struck out 156 batters, and walked only 49. But as we've seen with guys like Daisuke Matsuzaka, Masahiro Tanaka, and many other examples, just because you dominated over in Japan or in another country doesn't mean that that's going to directly correlate to your success in the major leagues. Very different things. And I'm very curious to see sort of what amount of money, you know, Sangle will really try and get. I wouldn't be surprised if it's, you know, 13 to $15 million. He's not going to be able to really demand, you know, that high price. Like we've seen a lot of these starting pitchers be able to demand on the open market just because he doesn't have that major league experience. Teams are sort of signing him with a blind eye of who knows how his stuff is really going to be able to correlate into the majors. We saw Masahiro Tanaka, be one of the greatest pitchers in in Japanese history. And same with Daisuke Matsuzaki, you could say as well. And, you know, they struggled mightily during their first few seasons and during their time in the majors. So sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But this is one guy that the Red Sox have been in contact with and have strong interest in. So very curious to see if, you know, some of their past ties with guys like Okajima, as well as, as I mentioned, Daisuke Matsuzaka, really intrigues Sanga that, you know, he's able to go to a place where Japanese players have not only had success, but have enjoyed their time in the past. You know, the Yankees are obviously another intriguing destination, as I brought up before. Tanaka could definitely be in Sanga's ear uh, in, in telling him that New York is a great place to play. Who knows? But, you know, he would definitely be able to fit the bill of a two or three a spot starter in a rotation, but would definitely put a great upgrade to this Red Sox current pitching staff. So not not super surprised that they're interested in him, but definitely hope that they're able to make a competitive offer in order to intrigue him to come to Boston. But we're going to be talking much more about some updates on Garrett Whitlock's injury that came out over these past few days. And then also giving you also an update on some former Red Sox players that are making their first year of eligibility in next year's Hall of Fame ballot. But before we do that, I just want to take a second to talk to you about Bet Online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. You can get the latest odds, trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to soccer and esports. We've got it all at betonline.net. 
And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at Bet Online as well. We are always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. So pitching has been the theme so far of this episode, so we're going to continue with it and talking about one player who is already slid into the 2023 Red Sox rotation, and that's Garrett Whitlock. And he's currently coming back from a season-ending hip injury, and I mainly think it was due to the overworkload that the Red Sox put on him throughout this past season, essentially just throwing him, him into that starter situation with no preparation on his body, no thought of, is this really going to impact him down the stretch and really bringing him back and forth from a starter to a bullpen arm. And, you know, we also saw him have have issues with his hip throughout the season. And I think that really hurt his production down the stretch. We saw him struggle a little bit, not really looking like himself on the mound. I think it was mainly due to that injury. But Jim McCaffrey from The Athletic reported that he's right on track with his rehab schedule. And he's set to start throwing again during the first or second week of December and is excited to return to his starter and build up after going away from that in 2022. And that's essentially been a debate uh, throughout Red Sox fans. It seems like since the beginning of last season, is Garrett Whitlock a starter for the future or is a bullpen arm? Now, most people, and I agree with this, it made much more sense for Whitlock to be in the bullpen last year with the limited pitching depth that the Red Sox had, especially in relief. They had nobody that they could really turn to other than John Schreiber to rely on uh, in those big games, in those big moments, other than John Schreiber and Garrett Whitlock. But now that Whitlock is really able to have that time to build up to be a starter and really prepare himself, I think that this is the perfect time for the Red Sox to slot him in there and give him a, a fair shot of how he looks in this situation. Now, the one thing that Lauren and I have brought up multiple times on this podcast, and I bet that you're thinking right now, they can't just go back and forth with him. They just need to stick with him in the rotation, even if he struggles. If You, you got to be able to allow a guy to figure out how to be able to go through some adversity in the majors, understand if you have a bad night, how are you going to be able to bounce back? And I think that Garrett Whitlock has the stuff to be able to effective to be effective starter. And, you know, the guys in the Red Sox front office, they understand what they're doing, in my opinion. They've seen the film of this guy. They've seen him day in and day out and what he's capable of doing. He came up through the farm system in the Yankees farm system as a starting pitcher. And so I think that they believe that the best way to utilize Garrett Whitlock to his full potential is to use him as a starting pitcher. And, you know, especially with the extension that they were able to sign him to last season, a four-year deal, he's going to be making 6 to $7 million. And that is dirt cheap for a starting pitcher, especially if Whitlock is even to be in anywhere close to an ounce of what we saw from him last year. We saw him obviously really struggle as a starting pitcher, but as I just mentioned, he just got thrown right into it and completely understand that, especially when you haven't started a game since 2019 and you were in double A, the competition is going to be so much different. You're not going to be able to be as dominant in a starting pitching role going four to five innings as you were used to going two to three innings at the bullpen. It's just not the same anywhere close, but it's really nice to see him starting to get back 
into throwing, working out, uh, and really recovering well from this hip injury. Uh, and, you know, it, it, was, it was something that I think definitely needed to be dealt with when it was at the end of the season, especially with the Red Sox uh, playoff odds really minimizing down the stretch of August and September. But this is sort of an eye-opening experience for the Red Sox as well. They need to make sure that they're not overworking these guys to the point where they get injured. That's one thing that I think really hurt Matt Barnes, especially during 2021, is he was so overworked during the first half. And that just really hurt him going into the second half and then just killed him mentally for the first half of 2022. And then you could even say the same thing, how they overused John Schreiber uh, this past season. I, I hope that they learn from these things. I hope that they uh, don't continue to do this and they're really able to control how much they utilize some of these players. So then they're able to make sure that they don't overwork them or work them to the point where they get injured, sort of like we saw with Garrett Whitlock. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was a similar thing with Tanner Houck as well. But uh, very curious to see how he recovers, how he's able to build up to be a starter, and very excited to see him in spring training, full-fledged, just getting ready to be a dominant starting pitcher in 2023 for the Red Sox. But one other thing that I wanted to mention that happened yesterday was the MLB released the Hall of Fame ballot uh, for 2023. And we saw four former Red Sox players who are in their first year of eligibility on this year's Hall of Fame ballot. We got Jacoby Ellsbury, Bronson Arroyo, John Mackey, and Mike Napoli. Starting off, Jacoby Ellsbury obviously began his his career with the Red Sox had some incredible seasons, especially in 2011. He came very close to winning the MVP, but just lost so close to Josh Hamilton. Then ultimately, as most fans know, sort of pulled a Johnny Damon, went to the Yankees. One thing, if I'm being quite honest, I will never forget. Uh, I, I, I will never be able to uh, forgive him for that. Growing up, other than Dustin Bedroya, Jacoby Ellsbury was my guy. I was somebody that you know just would make try and make diving catches throughout my baseball career and literally did it in the backyard tried to steal back just like Jacoby Ellsbury I'll never forget you know when he stole home uh some something that I will always remember throughout my time loving the Red Sox but uh especially with all the injuries that uh hurt him throughout his Yankees career and just was never really able to get back to where we saw him be in 2011 as a guy who was not only a base stealer, but could get on base, could hit home runs. And I think, you know, it's going to be one or done for Ellsbury. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case for majority of these players. Uh, Bronson Arroyo is another guy. We saw him be so dominant for the Red Sox in 2004. Ultimately ended up playing most of his career uh, with the Cincinnati Reds and a few other teams as well. But I, I, I think majority of these players will go one and out. They'll get a shot to try and get in the hall, but uh, it, it just really is cool to see some of these guys be represented. John Lackey, another one, somebody who, you know, dominated with the Angels, uh, did end up winning multiple World Series, one with the Angels, one with the Red Sox, and also we saw him win one with the Chicago Cubs as well. But I just don't think that any of these guys have the stats in order to you know, be classified as a Hall of Famer. Mike Napoli, obviously another one with the get beard, had the huge lumberjack beard, 
had a great career with the Texas Rangers, ultimately ended up obviously going back to the Texas Rangers after the Red Sox was so dominant for them, especially in the playoffs, such a great home run hitter. Uh, but it's pretty crazy for me. I don't know about you. I'm 23 years old. It's weird for me to start seeing these guys that I grew up watching now being uh, eligible for the Hall of Fame. Uh, sort of making me feel old. I know a lot of people who are listening to this right now are just rolling their eyes, just thinking, you know, you're lucky you're as young as you are. Uh, but it's weird for me. And I, I, I'm i curious to hear what other people think. Um, what did you start thinking when, you know, some some people that you saw uh, grow up and, and um, help you fall in love with baseball, you know, now start to be uh, eligible for the Hall of Fame. But uh, very excited to see how this all plays out. Very thin, in my opinion, Hall of Fame ballot uh, at this moment for, for, for this next season, excuse me. The one guy that I saw in my mind that I could really see going in uh, is Carlos Beltran. Very curious to see how the Houston Astros situation either really hurts his chances. And I, I hope they mainly look at, uh, you know, the parts of his career with the New York Mets, uh, you know, other teams as well. Uh, Scott Rowland is another guy that I won't be surprised, sneaks his way in. Todd Helton, another person. Andrew Jones, another notable person as well. So very curious to see how it all plays out, but also excited to see some former Red Sox names on there as well. But, you know, we hope that you did enjoy this episode. Very excited to hear your guys' thoughts on who you think that the Red Sox should go after in terms of pitching depth. Let us know over on Twitter. It's LO underscore Red Sox. You can follow us over there. You can also follow myself. It's at Jake Iggy. And also my co-host, Lauren. It's La La La. Three laws, Lauren, with four R's. But as always, we greatly appreciate everybody tuning in to the Locked On Red Sox podcast and for making Locked On Red Sox your first listen of every single day. Now make your second listen and check out Locked On Sports Today. From the greatest games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today. It's available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. But we greatly appreciate everybody tuning in. As always, I hope that everybody has a great rest of their day. And we'll see you guys and talk to you guys tomorrow. But we'll end it how we always end it. Let's go socks.